Good evening. I know I'm very repetitious when I say this. See, I'm learning real important words at school, so you'll see my vocabulary grow. May not even be saying it right, but I'm going to just act like I am for a moment, okay? So just bear with me on that. Uh, Very repetitious in what I say, that we serve an amazing God. Amen? We serve a God who loved us so much, He made a way for us to be able to come to Him and ask Him for anything. Tell Him about our problems. And He gave us a way that we could be right in His sight. And you know what that way is? Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. I love Jesus, and, and I know you do too. Uh, Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. Amen? We think about the grand scheme of things, and really it only comes down to one person, and that's Jesus. We should always have our eyes fixed on Him and always be thinking about what He wants us to do to be pleasing to to Him and to uh, help the kingdom uh, continue and grow while we still have time. Because, uh, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you just from the outset, you may not know this, Jesus Christ is coming back. And He's coming back at any moment. So it is of the utmost importance that we tonight remember that and always remember of the hope that we have that one day He will come back and He will. And you know I'm being facetious of that. I know that we all understand that. But I want us to make sure that it is on the front of our mind in everything that we do. And that's why tonight I want to continue. You know, last week I talked about the church, and the importance of the church. Uh, You know, we talked about how that uh, in Ephesians 3.10, the manifold wisdom was made known to the angels, really, when they saw that the, the Jews and the Gentiles were actually going to be brought into one group. And Ephesians 2, 17 through 18 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Through the church we have access to the Father. And that's because of Jesus. And Ephesians 5, 25 says that Jesus died for the church. So being a part of the church, being a part of the body of Christ is very important. If you are not a part of the body, then He's not coming back to get you. And that's sad. So we as the church, we as the body of Christ have a responsibility that we need to take care of. And I want to... uh, Use the Old Testament scriptures, several actually. If you would, uh, put one finger in the book of Ezra and put one finger in the book of Haggai. That's kind of where we'll be at. We'll finish in Haggai, but we're going to start off in the book of Ezra. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, 
that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We can learn through the Old Testament and understand what they did, the things that they did, the mistakes that they made, the things that they did good, and we can learn from those and understand that we have hope from God. We see from the very beginning, if we think about the Old Testament, we think about the uh, Scriptures of old, uh, that He made man and woman and He wanted to have that family relationship. God wants a family, and He's going to have a family. And His family is the body, it's us. We are, you are so important to God. That's what I love about the kingdom of God, is that every single one of us is not more important than each other. We are all the most important thing in the kingdom. And we all can have an effect on somebody else's life especially our family, especially our friends, the people around us, we will affect. And that's encouraging to me. I hope that that's encouraging to you. But we see that uh, this, this story of this family unfolds through the Israelites when they came out of bondage in Egypt. You remember they were slaves and, and God heard their cry and, and here He is, He's bringing them out. And, you know, uh, God was going to get glorified. He's beginning this process of showing his family, that he's going to be glorified whether Pharaoh lets him go or not. You remember uh, Moses goes to him and he tells him, uh, if you don't let uh, the I Am's people go, if you don't let this God go, then he's going to cause these plagues. And you think about it. If Moses would have just said, I mean, if Pharaoh would have just said, you know what, just let him go, who would have got glorified? God would have got glorified. If, if, they did, if he didn't agree to let them go and he, like he did and these plagues came, when they came out of Egypt, who got the glory? God got the glory. So we see uh, this family is built, but the head of that family and the main person that we should honor and glorify is God. We see that, you know, going through the history of it, we see the kingdom, it finally splits, and the northern kingdom goes uh, off into Assyria and is pretty much dismantled and never really to be known of again. And the southern kingdom, Judah, they eventually, because of their disobedience and not wanting to do God's will, they're put into captivity too by the Babylons. And this Babylonians, and this is where I want to kind of pick up the story, not where they go into captivity, but actually when they come back. This has been 70 years they've been in captivity uh, with the Babylonians, and they actually are coming back now. They are coming back to be uh, able to rebuild the temple. Uh, Ezra 1, 1 through 4, let's read this. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the, that, the word, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth and the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Who is among you, all of his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. 
and build the house of the Lord of God of Israel. He is God which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold and goods and livestock besides the free will offerings for the house of God which is in Jerusalem. So we see that the God had stirred up in, in the king's heart that these Israelites can come back to Jerusalem. And the main thing that I want you to think about as we begin this is they're coming back to build the temple back. They're coming back to rebuild the temple. So they get there and they are very excited about it. They are, they are very excited about coming back. And if you'll flip with me to Ezra chapter 3, if you'll let me kind of set this up, then I'll, I'll set my points and bring them to light as we go on. But follow me in this story and, and realize what is going on in the actual context of this. So in chapter 3, they are sent back and they're allowed to go and rebuild the temple. And when the seventh month had come, Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. They gathered together as one man. Think about that. When we gather together, we're gathered together as what? One body, one man. Let's keep reading. Then Yeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, Zerubbabel, and the son, the son of Shetlet, sorry, that's my word, Sammy, Sheltiel, and his brethren arose and built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So what they did was they got to uh, back from captivity and here they are in Jerusalem and they, they don't begin building the actual temple yet. They set up an altar. They set up an altar so they can do these sacrifices just as they were commanded to, to do in the law of Moses. So they set this up and it is a great time. If you'll skip with me over to verse 8, I'm going to read it too. I promise you I'll get you where we need to be, but I want you to really understand the context of this story because it really will bring light what I want to focus on tonight, which is the church. Now remember, they're together as one man. So in verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, 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 the son of Sheltiel, man, bless my heart, Joshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity of Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. So here they are, they're setting it up and they're fixing to begin. They're fixing to start building the foundation of the temple. Okay? And I want you to skip down with me to verse 11. And here they are, they're, they're fixing to do it and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For He is good and His mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout. 
when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. These people were emotional. They were excited. These people had been in captivity for so long, and here they are, they've come back, and they're actually seeing the foundation of the temple being laid again, and the house of God is fixing to be rebuilt. You you hear what they said right there at the end of that. It says that... Uh, the sound was heard afar off. They were very excited. It was a very, very emotional time. It makes me think about the church. It makes me think about somebody who's just become a Christian. You remember that time when you obeyed the gospel, how excited you were? That, that, that feeling that you had? What about when somebody comes down and wants to, to uh, restore themselves back to the congregation? They want to come back and get right with the Lord again. You remember how exciting that is? That's an exciting time for us. That's an exciting time for us to know that, you know, that God is working in our lives. And what we need to understand this morning, um, this evening, is that we are and should be excited to be the church. We should be excited and look forward to the things that we can do as the church. We get to go to heaven one day. We get to be with God and we get to be with Him forever. We are in unity together. The first point that I want to talk about tonight is as the church, as good as it is, as God has set it up, we have got to be in unity together. Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Brian read this in Bible class this morning. As the body of Christ, we need to be looking out for each other. Why is the body of Christ so important? Because that's what we do. If somebody's down, we've got many brothers and sisters now that are out because they're sick. What are we doing to help that? Are we calling them? Are we going to visit them? Are we doing the things that we need to do to try to take care of them? Are we asking people in the congregation if everything's okay? Is that where our mind frame is or is it only on us? Listen to what he says. Uh, look out not only for his own interests, which is that's what you've got to do. You've got to look out for your own interests and make sure you're uh, uh, handling your business right, but also for the interest of others. 
See, when we, when we focus our life on doing God's will, when we focus our life on doing the things for the kingdom, then it changes our focus of how we live our life. It always is, what can I do to please God? Not, well, I need to go do this and maybe next week... Well, I came Sunday morning and I'm good. Which brings me to my next point. We should be happy to assemble together because of that. I want to help everybody in here and I'm excited to hug you and love on you and be around you because I want to know if something's wrong. We have many people in here that are great at that. And I'm not saying that we are terrible at doing this. But I want uh, us to understand that we need to be able to do it more. We need to excel more and more abundantly and be better at it. The more and the better we are at doing these things, the more our light shines and the more it brings glory to God. By being here, by assembling together, by seeing people, when people aren't here, it makes you sad. It makes me sad because I want to know what's going on with them. Are they okay? Is everything all right? We know people that aren't here. Ask, text them, call them, visit them, ask them if they're okay. Hebrews 10.25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Just as the Israelites were coming back and they were so excited to be together. They were one man. They were together again. They left the cities and they came together and they had one mission. They were going to rebuild the temple of God. They set out the sacrifices. The altar was made. They were doing the things that they needed to do. And here they were excited about rebuilding the temple. They said God's mercy endures forever towards Israel. They saw that and we see it too. Galatians 6, 15 through 16 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything, but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. We are the spiritual Israel. We are the children of God. We should be excited about that. But boy, that can change quick, can't it? Look at chapter 4 of Ezra, verses 1. Through four. Here they were. People were hearing them afar off. They didn't know if they were weeping for joy or crying. They were shouting. They didn't know. There was something going on in Jerusalem. And look what happens. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord, God of Israel... They came to Zerubbabel 
and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esharden, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' house of Israel said to them, You may not do nothing with us to build a house from our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, had commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of of Cyrus king of Persia until the region of Darius king of Persia until the reign of Darius king of Persia the adversaries came we're excited about being in the church i hope I hope that we are excited about being together and being a part of this family of God. But the adversary comes, don't he? We learned in, uh, in one of my classes, we, uh, in the book of uh, Proverbs, the word scoffer. And the word scoffer in Hebrew... Uh, basically means, and we all came to an agreement in class, a hater. A scoffer is a hater. A person that hates you and hates anything that you do. That's what Satan is. Satan is a hater. You may be excited and you may think, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell people the gospel. I'm going to go do things that will affect their lives. I'm going to do this. And the very first person that you talk to says, I don't believe in that. You think you're the only one going to heaven. Y'all don't even sing with music. These adversaries continued so much and in verse uh, 12 of chapter 4 it says, Let it be known to the king of the Jews who, who came that the king, that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it, be, let it now be known to the king that if the city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. They wrote a letter to the king and told him, What are you doing? Why are you letting these people build, rebuild this temple and this wall? Once it's rebuilt, they're not going to pay no taxes. You're giving them all this money to do this and they're just going to not do anything. Haters. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this spiritual age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan understands that the Lord's church has the truth. 
And he wants to do anything he can to his members to sway them from telling the truth. Have you ever been in a Bible study with somebody or have you ever talked to somebody and they just don't want to hear it and you get so discouraged that you say, you know what, this ain't worth it. It's not worth it. I can't do this. Or we try to have a good attitude with our boss at work or we try to uh, live in such a way that will affect somebody's life and they never even see it. You think. I've been doing this, I've been doing right, I've been doing what I'm supposed to do, I've been coming on Sunday nights, I've been coming on Wednesday nights and nobody's even said anything to me. It ain't worth it. Verse 23, Artaxerxes sends this decree out. He agrees with them. He's like, yeah. Sorry, I got water on my glasses. Can't see. I'm having all kinds of trouble tonight. Y'all pray for me, will you? I'll get straightened out, I promise. Verse 23, now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehem and Shemshah, the scribe and their companions. They went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews, and by force the arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. It stopped. God sent them into captivity. Listen to this whole story. God sends them into captivity for 70 years. They understand that. And they're allowed to come back. And He tells them one thing. Rebuild the temple. And they start. And then the first situation that happens, they fold it up and set up shop. For 15 years from 535 B.C. all the way up until Haggai, which is 520 B.C. For 15 years, they don't do anything. As far as the temple goes, they just pack it up and go take care of their own business. That's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to keep our mouth shut. He wants us to look inward only and don't look about anybody else in the community or around us. He wants us to be quiet. You know what? It's too big of a battle. We can't win this. We don't have anybody getting baptized. We don't have anybody that wants to do Bible studies with me. I don't have anything going. So I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop and I'm going to do me. I'll come on Sunday... I'll take the Lord's Supper. I'll do those things. And I'm not saying that we're doing this. Don't get me wrong. I am not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. This is me too. Times will come when I have a chance to have a Bible study with somebody and they don't want to hear it and I think, you know what? I just won't worry about it for a while. No. No. 
the thing that they forgot and the thing that we forget is just how big our God is. You realize how big our God is? He set them on a mission. And you don't think for one minute that when the trouble came, if they first and foremost said, God, I got a problem. The adversaries are on us. They sent out this decree. We need to remember how big our God is when we face any type of situation. I'm not just talking about uh, not having a Bible study with somebody. I'm talking about struggles in your life, keeping you from coming and assembling together, keeping you from reading your Bible, keeping you from having the right mind. Our God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He's the God that, that opened up the Red Sea and let these people walk on dry land. Don't you believe that? Don't you believe how, how big your God is? He did that. You remember David? I think about David and I think about his mind frame. And, and when he was going and he was uh, going to check out the, the giant situation when the armies wouldn't even, the, none of the Israelites would even face this Philistine. And David, here he comes. He says, uh, uh, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this? David remembered how big his God was. He was a little bitty short fella. It didn't matter. All things were possible. He had that in his mind. But so many times when we struggle and we, we miss a Sunday or we miss a Wednesday or we miss whatever it is, I, I, I'm picking on this attendance just because of the fact that uh, it's so uh, apparent to me that these uh, Jews, when they came back, they wanted to be together. When we're not together, we can't encourage each other and we can't fellowship in the right way. Because you have so many other people around you that aren't Christians when you're not here. And their advice is probably good advice, but it's not the advice of God a lot of the times. And I'm not saying that everybody's advice in here is godly. I hope it is, and I pray that it is. But when you assemble here, we can encourage each other through God and through His Word. Yes, you're doing the right thing. Haley sent me a letter. I'm just going to put her on the spotlight. She told me that she appreciated what I did. She appreciated that I was doing this. That's worth it. You know, not just for me, for anybody. Who do you see around here tonight that you can encourage? And if you are a great encourager, do it more. It helps. It helps me realize how big my God is. My God loves me enough that He surrounds me with people that love me. And that love you. Our God is so big, He sent His Son. 
Our God is so big that He manifested Himself in the flesh. No, I'm talking about wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. No matter what situation, no matter what is happening in my life, I love the Lord and I love the body of Christ. I love being a part of this. I pray that my mind will always be fixed to say Matthew 6.33 and think it. But seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. And what does He say? All these things will be added to you. Hey, I don't have to worry about getting stuff added to me. If He wants to give me a big house, He can give me a big house. If He wants to give me a nice ride, He'll give me a nice ride. But if I don't have that, it does not matter because God is going to get the glory in everything I do. In everything I do. I love this verse, Philippians 1.27. Philippians 1.27. Paul's talking to him. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Are we going to strive together for the faith of the gospel? Or are we going to crumble as soon as Satan attacks? It's hard. But I can do it with my brothers and my sisters. When I'm down, I can just call on you. Help me. I need help. Pray for me, please. I'm not ashamed to admit it. But how can I do that if I'm not here? So 15 years go by. Turn with me to Haggai. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I had to memorize that. It took me a minute to get there too. (laughs) A little bitty, a little bitty book in the Bible. But boy, what a powerful book. Fifteen years pass and they haven't done anything. They haven't done anything to build a temple. So what does God do? He loves His people so much. Here He goes and He sends Zechariah and Haggai. He sends them and He sends them to get it straightened out, to encourage them to do what they were meant to do. Isn't that just awesome thinking about that? God sends people and through God's providence, sometimes somebody will get sent to you. Hey man, you can do it. I know you can do it. I've seen you do it. I've seen you do stuff. God's stuff. 
But look how he encourages them. Look at Haggai chapter 2. Verse 4 through 9. And Zerubbabel was the governor before we start. He's the governor of the ones coming back. He is the one who's in charge of the Israelites as they're coming back. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations and they will come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. That last verse right there is a prophecy for somebody. And I just read it earlier. Somebody's going to come in this temple and is going to preach peace. And guess who that is? <laughs> That's our man. That's Jesus Christ. That's the man right there. He came and he preached peace. Because guess what? If you are obedient to the gospel, guess what? You have peace. And just like me and Danny talked about last night, you can know that you have eternal life. But guess what? you got to remember who's with you. The whole time, at first when they came back, they had that encouragement. They had that satisfaction that God was with us. As soon as the problems hit, so many times, what do you do? God out, me figuring it out. I'll figure it out. Man, this is mess. I done gotten a bunch of mess. I always get in a bunch of mess. I always do the wrong thing. I always say the wrong thing. Five people are mad at me at church. The elders are mad at me. I ain't even answered none of their texts or calls. They visited. Eddie doesn't come over and visit me. I ain't even answered the door. No matter what mess you're in, God is with you. Hold fast to that. Be encouraged by that. Look at verse 20. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots, and those who ride in them, the horses and their riders, shall come down. Everyone by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, 
and will make you a signet ring. And I want you to hold on to this. If you don't remember anything else about the lesson, remember this. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we know this verse very well. 1 Peter chapter 2. The verses 4 through 10. Problems are going to come in our lives. Situations will always happen. But if you are in the Lord's church, listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Coming to Him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up as spirit, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You get to throw out acceptable sacrifices to God. How do you do that? How are you acting? Are you of one mind in the body? Are we thinking the same thing? Are we preaching the gospel? Are we wanting to do the things that are acceptable to God all the time? Why can't we do it all the time? Why do I have to say I can't do it all the time? That's an impossible thing. Why do I have to say that? Why can't I say, you know what? For the rest of my life, I'm going to live and be a number one Christian. I want to be a number one Christian. I want to be the number one child of God. Why do I have to settle for saying, you know what? I just mess up and I sin and, and I'm just not good enough. Listen to what he says in verse 6. Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense." They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. This right here makes me emotional. This right here is, a, is, is where it's at. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen? Into His marvelous light. Have you sung praises about God to somebody? Have you sung praises to yourself at home? Anywhere you're at, are you always singing praises to God? Are you happy when you see the brethren? Because we're all praising God. I hope today that as you've worshipped, you've worshipped in spirit and truth. Because that's what it's about. He's brought you out of darkness. He brought you where, where you had no life. And He's put you into this marvelous light. A marvelous light. Verse 10. Who once you were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
His mercy endures forever to the house of Israel. I am so thankful that I'm a member of the church of Christ. Amen? Not a denomination. Not a uh, one of the many denominations in the world. I belong to the body of Christ. There's a difference. There's only one. We have the power, brothers and sisters, to change the world. Romans 1.16, the gospel. It's the power to save. But how can anybody be saved if we don't tell them, right? Romans 10.17 says what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How can people hear if they don't have a preacher? How can they hear if they don't have somebody telling them the truth? No matter if it hurts. I get emotional sometimes thinking about my family. Thinking about my family that that wants to do God's will, but are so far off, but so close. If you're here tonight and you are not a part of the body of Christ, I want to encourage you with one thing. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for His children. And you can be a part of that family. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that He died on a cross for your sins, for the wretched men and women that we are, you may be the best person, but you're still not right in God's eyes if you're not in Christ. But if you believe that, that, that He died on a cross for you and He was buried and that He rose on the third day, you can have life. I want to read this. John 1. The Bible is so awesome. John 1.12 says, if you believe this, listen, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you believe that He died and that He rose on the third day, listen to this. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. So all I got to do is believe, right? No. Listen to what He says. He gave you the right Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? You believe it? And you believe that He died and He was raised? Guess what? You have the right to become a child of God. And let me tell you something else. If you want to become a child of God, you can. And you can have your sins washed away. Peter told the uh, Jews on the first gospel sermon at Pentecost, he said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you want your sins forgiven, you've got to be immersed in water. And when you come up, you are a new creation. White as snow. Clean. You can do that tonight. I love saying this now. Just like uh, God told Joshua, 
He said, be bold and be courageous. If you're here and you're a brother or sister and you've left the faith, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, come back. Let's get right. Get right, church, and let's go on. And let's grow together. If you need to make a decision, if you need to uh, put on Christ in baptism, that would be totally awesome. And you can do it right now as we stand and as we sing.